all across the sporting community, there has been an increased focus on athlete well-being. We're used to hearing about physical problems, but what about mental health? It's Mental Health Awareness Week, an opportunity to have some of those difficult conversations, to challenge the stigma and to focus on the emotional toll it can take to be the best. This is Medals and More, the podcast getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. I'm Catherine Granger and in this episode we'll be hearing from three people who have done a great deal of work in raising awareness of mental health in sport. We'll be hearing from a double Olympic champion and Great Britain's most decorated Winter Olympian. Hi, I'm Lizzie Arnold, a retired skeleton athlete now living on the other side. We'll also be hearing from a Commonwealth Games silver medalist, a man who can walk a mile faster than anybody else on the planet. Hi, I'm Tom Bosworth. I'm an Olympic and world record holding race walker. And hearing from the person who leads a team of practitioners who are working closely with athletes on areas including personal and professional development. Hi, I'm Joe Harrison. I'm the head of performance lifestyle at the English Institute of Sport. Of course, we're recording this remotely with my guests all in their own homes as the country remains in lockdown. First, Tom, how is lockdown as a as an athlete champing at the bit to be back out there going for you? Well, here's a positive spin on it. I, I like to think that, you know, successful athletes are quite able to adapt and, and change to the circumstances. You know, if you get injured or or other setbacks, you know, we, we have to adapt to it. And I guess this is just quite a big adaption that that we've all had to face. And I guess it, it, it was a bit tough to take because when you head into Olympic year, you you know, it, it, everything kind of changes that little bit from day to day training to, to the things that go on around you. And I guess to know that potentially that all was taken away for for some people at the start, I thought that that was kind of the, the panic um, to, to now it's just coping with it like everybody else and and everybody really is in the same boat. When the news was first, because there was a sense of growing concern globally as well as within the country here about the impact of COVID-19 anyway, not just within sport, but just generally across society and and sort of lockdown coming in. But at that point, there was still a suggestion that the Olympics and Paralympics could still go ahead this summer. What was it like as an athlete when you heard the news that it was was going to be delayed and postponed for me i was i was pretty upset to be honest only because i had a terrible 2019 which kind of had ended in a nice way with a top eight at the world championships um i'd got over injury and and a lot of other things that were going on in my life and and i'd started this this indoor season with back-to-back british records and and just from a selfish point of view it was pretty gutting because i i was completely tunnel vision focus on me and I was like I can still put my trainers on I can still go out training please hold the Olympic Games I'm in the form of my life um and I'm not getting any younger either so it was complete kind of as a selfish way of looking at it but then you know as days went on I kind of took a step back and you realize this is this is the Olympic Games there's there's far more than just the athletes coaches Mm -hmm. uh you know team team members it's everybody from there's there's hundreds of thousands of jobs, catering, cleaners, builders. There's there's so much involved in this. So I'm glad they didn't rush the decision, um, but that the the right decision was made. And so hopefully we can celebrate the Olympic Games as they 
truly should be uh, next year. I think we're all hoping for that. So, so what has it meant for training for you? We've kind of just taken a step back and looked at as, as if we don't know if we're going to get any competitions this year. We can't be trying to hold on to the fitness that I had back in March. So, so we've kind of taken a step back. I took a couple of weeks off. And I've just spent time with a dog, well, with my fiance at home, gardening, that sort of thing. And then over the last few weeks, I've started to kind of go go training. And luckily, apart from getting into a gym, I, I don't need anything else than another pair of trainers, and I can I can head out the door. So it, it really just feels like winter winter miles, as we call it. You know, about two or three marathons a week, and uh, just ticking by. And are you managing to stay positive through that? I think, like everybody, you you have good positive days when when you're perhaps busier uh, and your mind's taken off things or for me like training's going quite well uh you had a good day and and um yeah I can, I can stay positive because I'm getting this time as I said with my fiance and my dog that usually I, I wouldn't have this time of year I wouldn't even be in the country so it's it's quite nice I've been able to enjoy some of the British sun. Lizzie, we're now, um, I was going to say happily, reti- hopefully we're happily retired athletes. Can you imagine if, if this was affecting you before, you know, a year out from your from your final Winter Olympics, how you'd be feeling facing this? I think, in all honesty, I would really be struggling. I think when, when Tom, when you were talking about the tunnel vision, that really took me back into the moments, you know, a year out, two years out, where everything is so focused on that date, that time, the start line, I was just totally committed. All of my life was totally committed towards the game. So I don't know whether I would have been so good and so adaptable as you, Tom. I think my mind is so like such a set mindset. I'm so set towards that date. Um, I think it's a huge credit to the athletes who have been able to like take a step back, take a couple of weeks off and rethink. Um, but everyone's on such a different journey. Uh, as Tom, you know, you said about um, not getting any younger or people might be dealing with injuries and things. I, I think, yeah, I think I just would have really struggled. So I hope for the Tokyo athletes, um, they've got the support around them that they can think of things with you know, with a with a bigger picture, you know, um, sit a bit higher and look at the plan and work with the team that they've got close to them. Joe, you must be in touch with a lot of different athletes across a lot of different sports who are experienced, like Lizzie and Tom have said, everyone's experiencing very different emotions at different times and even at different times to each other and, you know, different emotions and people in the same house as you. You know, people, everyone's going through quite the roller coaster of of feelings day to day what's the what's the feeling across the system if you can have such a view I think um as as Tom and Lizzie were saying it is so incredibly individual um you know and and I've kind of gone from thinking we're all in the same boat to same storm but different boats um you know I I, just the, the you know people's individual circumstances the way they feel about that how they react to that they're kind of um support that they've got around them you know everybody's individual circumstances are just so different but I think what what we have probably seen is you know quite an emotional reaction at first as 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 Tom described you know um just the 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 hit the shock of the disappointment and and initially being a very very what does this mean for me kind of reaction yes there's a range of of responses um, but in the main, people are doing all right. People have adapted and are managing to positively reframe where they can. Um, of course, there are some athletes that are that are struggling more than others. 
And some of those, you know, are probably the ones that have really solid retirement plans in place for post Tokyo that are, you know, so not only have they lost the games, but, you know, but they're having to kind of rethink their plans for post games. But, you know, but like you said, Catherine, there's, there's so much support out there for athletes, you know, either from their own friends and families and, and the professionals and the performance support staff that are around them. So, so yeah, a real, a, a real mixture, I think, of responses. But, but on the whole, my sense is that, that people are coping fairly well. As athletes, you can consider life not just beyond sport as in when you retire, but alongside it as well. You know, you can develop yourself in other ways. Have you found athletes using this time? Is there space and capacity to look into that area more? Or is it, you know, sometimes you think, oh, this is a great time to look at other parts of my life. But actually, you just don't want to try and think of too much right now. You're trying to keep your life as simple as possible. So, again, I, I'm assuming it's quite different for different people. But are you seeing an uptake in people doing more alongside their sport? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's probably been um, the real positive for us, being able to, you know, for, for life to just slow down a little. As Tom said, you know, lots of athletes wouldn't even be at home at this point, but but life has slowed down. And it's interesting, a couple of the practitioners from the team have said, you know, over the last few weeks, they've had more philosophical, reflective type conversations with athletes than than they ever have done because they've got the time and space to to, to just to just think about things in a different way. And, you know, I think once the initial emotion and and reaction settles down, then 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 athletes have started to kind of go, well, well, you know, how do I want to think back about this time? What what would I quite like to be proud of? You know, what what could I have done during this time? And we've really tried to facilitate as many of those conversations as possible. And and the team are in demand. You know, the, the team are working really, really hard to support athletes with their choices around what they could do and what's the right thing for them to do in this time. Some athletes will choose to um, explore and do some career development that, that might help them in the future. Some athletes might might look at um, an online course. Some athletes have been doing all kinds of weird and wonderful uh, fundraising and, and charity associated stuff. So there's been there's been a great uptake of, um, of of different activity, and I think that's that that's been brilliant for us to see. And Lizzie, come back to you with the when just hearing Joe talking through all the different things that that athletes can now access and do. If you reflect, do you did you see the topic of I suppose you know, be more than just an athlete changing through your career and also the, the sort of mental health support, especially developing through the time you were an athlete. Especially near the end of my career, it was such an important aspect to take up um, the performance lifestyle help and, and all of that. But um, actually, I don't know if you know that Tom and I started training. We started our athletic career at the same track, Tunbridge AC. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when we were there training, um, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays, you know, doing circuits on Wednesdays. You you see each other physically around the track, getting the miles in, getting the circuits in. Life isn't, as an athlete, life isn't really about the other stuff. It's just about training hard. Whereas now, I when I became an elite athlete and, and I was supported by this team, suddenly you're, you're given a nutritionist and a psychologist and you don't really know how to use these services, especially performance lifestyle. You know, what, what does that mean? What do they do? And so it took a little bit of time to get to know my performance lifestyle advisor to work out how can they help me? What does help look like? 
And what it really did develop in me was was allowing a conversation with someone different, someone who wasn't my coach, wasn't my psychologist, wasn't someone who wanted to have a performance conversation. They would allow me space to take the conversation where I wanted and to work out, okay, do I do I want to have some so I did some golf lessons I'm terrible at golf so I needed the lessons <laughs> um, but to have a go at that and you know the the putting challenge and being under pressure that was actually really good practice for me for being watched being under pressure giving myself that challenge kind of similar to how it does in in my sport but you know it was different and then I did baking I did um some crafty stuff so it it's you know, on the outside, it's not related to skeleton, it's not related to elite sport, but it helped me think, okay, what is there more to me that's, I'm not just an athlete, there is more to me, I'm this, that, I'm going to do this course, I'm going to see if I'm interested in this, and that just helped kind of take the pressure off of a good performance or a bad performance, it allowed me to yeah, just think of myself as more than an athlete. Tom, do you relate a lot to the things Lizzie was saying there? Yeah, 100%, because I got far too caught up in that. I'm, I'm an athlete. It's, it, you know, results are all that matter and, and it defines who I am. And not knowing, not having anything else outside of training, outside of, uh, as my dog walks past right now, she's one thing that's come of this. I was just Tom the athlete in my head and and that was so unhealthy and so whether it's going through you know the the team at British Athletics or kind of just taking that step back and thinking about what I want to do in the future and and now I as as both of you had said before I had um, not retirement plans but I had huge plans for post Olympics this year which have gone out the window which were just things like traveling back down to Kent to see my parents more often and seeing my cousins, my my friends, my family, going to stay with people, going on a few nights out, be, being a normal person. And and I was going to just take a step back from training for for four or five months and just have a complete switch off. Um, and so that that's kind of gone out the window. But I've been doing these things to kind of, um, which is, I guess, why when I, I had that tunnel vision of, right, this is the Olympics this is what I need to do to get on the start line. But I, I had already put in place this kind of the securities of if the Olympics goes wrong or, or if, if I don't even make it through injury or something. I've, I've got other things in place that make me me rather than just uh, Tom the athlete. And Tom, how much of that did you put in place post? If I can take you back to, to a less happy part of your career back in 2017, you know, the, the World Athletics Championships in London, you know, home crowds back to the amazing Olympic Stadium and, and all those, the incredible support. And you were disqualified in your event while you were leading. Um, and you've talked, you know, quite a lot about how that, how that result, how that outcome affected you in this sort of the aftermath of that result. Can you talk a little bit about how that did affect you and why things might be different now? It started something in me uh, that, that's, uh, I started a ball rolling of complete self-loathing and um, kind of a downward spiral after that because, as we literally just said, if athletes aren't careful, it becomes the be-all and end-all. It's our, it's our, our race and our, our results. It defines us if we're not careful. And, and I'd come off a, a, my first Olympics in Rio the year before. I went in ranked something like 28th or, or 29th and ended up sixth in a British record. 
So for me, it was a huge, huge breakthrough. And we went into London, a home games, the course in front of Buckingham Palace, thousands and thousands of people out. And the British public, they love sport. They will absolutely, they want to be almost on the course with you, racing with you. And I never experienced a crowd like it. And being a road event, they, they were quite literally less than a foot away from you. And it was so intense. Um, and so it had kind of all come to a perfect peak here, uh, you know, on the streets of London. And um, then it went so spectacularly wrong on, on a Sunday afternoon live on telly and, and it, it broke me because I, it, all I've been building for over that last year and, and longer, really, it, it, it's, I was a nobody and uh, not any, anybody really knew my sport or, or kind of what it was about. And it had been a lot of hard work on and off the track to really raise the profile and raise my own profile from my team, British Athletics, everybody involved. So I felt like I'd let a hell of a lot of people down and myself, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't worthy, you know, and 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 it started a winter where I kind of didn't want to go training. I started just drinking. I, I didn't go. I didn't come home. I didn't see Harry, my fiance. I, I didn't care about anything, and I certainly didn't care about myself, let alone anybody I care about. And it just spiraled. And again, you have that athlete tunnel vision where the Commonwealths were only in the spring of 2018. So it was. So for me, I managed to like cling on to them as a as a bit of a redemption right can I go and meddle there and see, let's see what happens and and I, I did but it it went from again I, went, I was going from race to competition to competition not addressing anything else uh, you know not being not happy in anything I was doing training was pretty pretty rubbish for most of the time I was doing most of it on my own um, I, I would just disappear away from the group my training group I would I, I wouldn't be speaking to Harry when I was traveling away so when I came home at the end of 2018, having been pretty much traveling for most of the year, it just it just got to a point where I was once again faced with no distractions in terms of competition, no training camps to go on. And I was just left with a with everything that I made myself kind of by accident. But but it it, it led to a point where I found myself trapped uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do because there wasn't anything else. Athletics, I didn't enjoy. I was ruining my relationships with my family, my friends. And it, it took me to a point of wanting to take my own life. And then on a couple of occasions, I tried. And and I look back now and think, goodness me, what a, I, I don't even feel like I was the same person that sat here. It really is something that takes over your mind completely. And all of it I can see is stemming back from that moment in, in the summer of 2017 as that as the ball started rolling of, of kind of self-destruction, really. And what was it that helped you to get out of that hole that you got yourself into? By this point, you know, Harry had tried his best to support me the best he can. But as most athletes know, it, it, until you start winning again, <laughs> there's not much that you can do to, to, to change that when, when it is so... So there's that word again, tunnel vision. And that's why it's so unhealthy, because there is nothing else to to save you in a way. And so Harry made me ring one of the doctors at British Athletics. I got in contact with one of my physios who I trusted, who who put me on to a psychologist at at British Athletics, who then took it, you know, escalated it really quickly. And between British Athletics, UK Sport and everybody else, the, the support has been you know absolutely fantastic uh, and they 
got me help outside of outside of sport, outside of athletics. And it's been a you know, where are we now? May May twenty twenty. It's it's I feel like I'm I'm past it pretty much and and very, very much have an understanding of why and what happened and have safety nets in place. Um but it was eighteen months easily of of, of a long, long learning curve that I had to rebuild not my, just myself, but everything around me, everything I worked so hard for that I quite quickly was pushing away. And, uh, and, and thankfully I have. And looking back now, I mean, it's fantastic where you've got yourself to now and all credit to you and well done for speaking so honestly about it. Do you look back now and think there's things you could have done? Because, I mean, one of the things that, that enable us all as athletes to to you know reach incredible heights is that ability to have tunnel vision and that ability to focus almost, you know, in a healthy way and sometimes not obsessively on our goal and that's kind of what we all are part of looking back now do you think there's things you could have done differently or put in place before 2017 that would have helped you um rather than having to obviously go through that experience yeah definitely i, I think that, i think there's two things there i think first of all pre-2017 you know growing up i i, I studied uh, i did I qualified as a sportsman, so I did those sorts of things, but they were all just as a way to train uh, and a way to become a full-time athlete uh, and, uh, and achieve kind of the Olympic dream, not develop me as a person. So I think as a, as a younger developing athlete, that's where the athlete should still be encouraged to to do other things because throughout the whole period, I, I had nothing else from Rio and, and well, from 2014 onwards, pretty much, I had nothing else but Tom the athlete. And whilst it was all going wonderfully well, it, it, that doesn't matter really. You can you can ignore everything else and have that tunnel vision and 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 work on our on our goals. But what also nobody saw, I don't think, and it started happening very quickly. The week of that race in London was I never experienced sort of the media hype and the pressure that I had that week or, or over those few weeks as suddenly I was classed as a, as a medal favourite for this race because of the Olympics, because of the results earlier in 2017. And again, British media, British fans, they they, they absolutely just want you to see see you do well, but they, they have very high expectations nowadays. We have a lot of medals. So nobody saw the pressure was getting to me. And I think maybe my coach did but it was almost too late. You know, we're talking 72 hours before the competition and I wasn't talking to my sports psychologist I had in place then. I wasn't. I was locking myself in my room and and not answering my phone. It was it was at that point that we I think afterwards we, we didn't realise how much of a big deal that this had become. This last 12 months had become in my life and we hadn't changed anything from how we went into Rio as a, as a kind of nobody and wasn't expecting to be anywhere near the front to this now is the polar opposite of that and nothing had changed. So the sport, so the sport wasn't different. There was no talk of anything else. So, and that was why it was so unhealthy. Whereas now I say I, I, I'm committed to my training 100% like I was two, three years ago. But I care about Harry, my dog and my home life. So I'm committed to training and I care about home. And they're the two different things. And if I'm doing everything right at home, then I can go flog myself in training. And it goes wrong. It doesn't matter because I come home to a really healthy environment. And that's what I never had before. That's race walker Tom Bosworth, the world record holder over one mile. This is Medals and More, the podcast getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. 
I'm Catherine Granger, and in this episode for Mental Health Awareness Week, we're discussing the different emotional challenges that athletes face. Tom was talking there about, you know, the expectations building around you, and sometimes those are very internal, and we, we put our expectations on ourselves, and sometimes those are the people around you, and it, and often it's, you know, meant in the best possible way. The, the public, the media, the, the sort of the big build-up around major events is all part of what we love it's why we we you know miss it as an athlete when you don't do it but it can add extra pressure and you must have felt that going into you know the last winter games trying to defend your olympic title and and how did you cope with that extra emotion pressure stress i think the the two olympics sochi and pyeongchang were polar opposite um situations but even before Sochi, when I had the most pressure that I put on myself, it almost didn't matter what other people put on me. I put pressure on myself at the highest level. Um, for about a year before Sochi, I would pretty much every night cry myself to sleep because I was in fear that I was defined by that one race. That that one moment would define me as an athlete, define me as a person. By the time I got to Sochi and I was walking from the changing room, so you kind of storm out with your jacket on, with your salopettes on, with your crash helmet in hand, you storm out towards the, the block where your coaches stood. And I came up with these self-affirming um, mottos just in the moment. It was that I can do this. I am in control of my own destiny. And I would just repeat those things over and over just to help myself breathe, help myself be calm. And I don't know where it came from, whether it was sort of hidden in my mind and, and just came at that moment that I needed it. Um, but after Sochi is when I really realised that I had to change things a little bit and not define myself as just an athlete. So when I went into Pyeongchang, I was quite grateful that I had all this extra learning, uh, which I thought would help. However, <laughs> when I was having an awful lead into the Olympics, Olympic season, it was just it was just awful. It was so bad. I, I came like 16th, my worst result, and thought, it's OK. I know what I'm doing. I've been to the Olympics before. Right. I just need to be that athlete that I was. I should work hard and work longer. Next week, I came 23rd, didn't even make the cut for the second run. It got worse, worse, worse. And it got to a point where I, I had to sit back with the with the team. A couple of people in my team very close to me said, look, you're, you're just not enjoying this. Something has to change. And thank goodness they knew me so well that I was able to be open with them. And they just pulled me back. And, and we realised that I was trying so hard and whether it's the pressure I was putting my, on myself, everything had to be, you know, going forward, working harder, working longer, more perfect. Um, I realised I just had to enjoy my sport. That's what I did it for. I loved skeleton. I loved the thrill of going at 90 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> so luckily, I remembered that with three weeks before Pyeongchang and going into Pyeongchang, I was... Um, British bulldog um, fighting for my place on the team, fighting to be worthy of that spot because I had no no one predicted that I would um, do well in Pyeongchang. But we all fought together. And um, yeah, I just didn't I didn't ever stop believing it's that thing of just never give up on your dreams pulled through for me um, in the final in Pyeongchang. Thank goodness. Joe, coming back to you, I mean, we've got you, we've got world record holders here. We've got Olympic champions here and they're incredibly successful incredibly well known um you'd think on the outside you know 
oh, life must be a joy every single day. And yet they're talking really openly about you know, how the difficulties and the challenges and and, you know, trying to balance everything, trying to live up to your own expectations, you know, trying to cope with disappointments. I mean, every athlete, every athlete out there themselves will be dealing with some some challenge. Every single person will be. What sort of support? What what would you say to athletes out there who might be struggling? And and sometimes it's hard to admit that. Let's be honest. Sometimes the, these two here are brilliant and so open, um, but not every athlete is comfortable or confident enough to talk about things they are struggling with because it's almost to admit vulnerability and a weakness and that's not easy for athletes to generally do what what support is there and what would you say to athletes who might be facing their own difficulties right now well that is a hundred percent the the type of environment that as performance lifestyle practitioners that that we try to create like as as lizzie mentioned before we're not hugely connected to to the performance effort and when you step into a space where you're talking with a performance lifestyle practitioner it it's it's not a you know it's not a really performance based conversation it's a person based conversation um you know i i i've been head of service now for five or six years but prior to that i was a practitioner work, you know working within a sport and i distinctly remember a, you know a young female athlete coming in and kind of collapsing in a chair next to me and just saying joe you're the only one round here that doesn't measure me and and that just felt so powerful and it stayed with me like my my whole career that I just think it's so important for athletes to be able to access professionals like us that, you know, I, I, I would be there for my athletes regardless of performance. It's not that that that's not the kind of defining thing for us. You know, what is important for me is that is that as a person, you you're okay and that you know where you're going and you're in control of things and that you feel you've got some choice and autonomy in this crazy kind of you know juggernaut that 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 will set off and will just take you with it you know if 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 you don't if you you don't kind of um assert yourself inside it i think you know it's wonderful to hear the 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 balance that that tom's now got and uh, and the reflective um kind of way that Lizzie can look back on her career but ultimately for for us as a team life has to have meaning and purpose beyond sport it has to be more than that sport is something that you're doing and you're and committed to it and we want you to do it incredibly well there isn't a performance lifestyle practitioner out there who doesn't want you to win but we want you to be you know we want you to be successful for the long haul and ultimately we want you to be happy and that and and that takes a bigger you know that that needs a bigger picture and a, and a and a bigger sense of support so um for us the whole kind of more to me concept is you know is something that we're kind of truly leading with now you know this is about helping athletes develop uh, fuller rounder identities you know so your eggs aren't all in that one basket all the time you know there, there, there are points in an athlete's career of course where that tunnel focus has to be absolutely on but it's not sustainable the whole time there has to be other outlets and other things going on um you know for, so that you're not just solely defined by you know a medal or not like you know this is something this is a chapter in your life it isn't your whole life and you know and and for us as a team you know we we want to support athletes in 
in understanding that, in navigating their way through it. And actually, I, I, th- I think it's really beneficial for performance right now, as well as, you know, in the creation of those future pathways um, for beyond sport. And every athlete can access some help and some support in in doing things to look beyond themselves as just an athlete yeah of course every world-class performance athlete can um can access the, the their pl practitioner and and we're lucky you know we've got um we've got a system of personal development awards that 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 traditionally only podium athletes could access but now I'm so happy to say that the pot's been the investment has been made and the pot's been widened and deepened. So effectively, podium and podium potential athletes can all get some monetary support towards their personal development because we don't want, you know, finances to be a barrier to, to athletes getting involved in this. And, and for us as practitioners, you know, if we can put some money on the table, then <laughs> that, that always helps to really encourage athletes to take advantage. So. And, and invariably, you know, once once an athlete's used their personal development award and they've done something and they feel the benefit of it, they're generally in it and, you know, and we'll continue to use it. So it's it's great that we, we can offer that across the board for world class funded athletes now. It's uh, yeah something we're we're really, really happy to have and, and look forward to uh, to spending. <laughs> It's great. And it just shows that, you know, the commitment that it is. It's not just it's not just a nice soundbite to think, you know, we want to support beyond athletes just being athletes. It really is a genuine desire to make people as wholly rounded and wholly developed as we can be. Tom, last bit of advice from you. If you were saying to athletes who might be struggling at home right now, listening and feeling a bit lost, what would you be saying? Throughout all of that, it wasn't it's not my advice. Um, it's, it's Jack Green's advice uh, for, uh, for Hurdler. It was Commonwealth Games 2018. Jack said a brilliant piece in his post-race interview um, about about a happy athlete being a successful athlete. And I think that's what you have to remind yourself. And uh, going back to the beginning, I, I said I was, you know, I, I was upset and really, really gutted about the Olympics going. But that was because I was happy and because I was training really well and because everything was going to plan. But But that only came around because... I had put all these other things in place. And so if, if, if right now you're finding it really difficult, lacking the motivation to train and to be as committed as you would usually because the next target is so, is so far away, I, I would say go and find something you really enjoy to take your mind off it. It can be absolutely anything that adds that little bit of quality to your day. And then you probably might feel like you're able to go train or do a little bit of what you should be doing and take it day by day but punishing yourself by by doing nothing or, or because you feel like you don't train you can't do things um to enjoy yourself it, it it's it's so it's so so wrong put yourself first go away go and enjoy yourself do whatever it is that you can do in in lockdown right now um and then think about training later there's definitely an element isn't there of just being kind to yourself you know it's difficult so just just be kind and like you said be happy which is brilliant Lizzie, any words of advice? You're so right, Tom. You've got to look after yourself and be happy. I would say go and make a cup of tea. First of all, sit down, um, <laughs> chat to your coach or your psychologist or your performance lifestyle advisor. They're there to help you. And yeah, totally put yourself first. I use my PDA for golf and baking and really silly stuff. So I would love to find out what everyone's going to use their PDAs for. Catherine, <laughs> what do you use your, yours for? 
Oh. I did a whole rant. We had the same in, in the rowing team. I mean, loads of people used it. It was really good. Some people did it for, you know, qualifications to go on and, and do it. I was the longest serving student, I think, in history. So I put my, <laughs> kept my mind towards more education. Um, but we also had people doing like jewellery making courses. People did photography courses, uh, car maintenance courses. Uh, there was a bit of wine tasting at one point, but there was just lots <laughs> of things. <laughs> Because it really is, you know, about developing yourself and, and, you know, a lot of skills that might be useful, might not be useful, just just to give your brain and yourself something different to put yourself into. And actually, you know, it helps much beyond what I expected. And that, you know, sometimes you go to, you know, you go to events that are sponsored or media stuff or, you know, formal events. And and sometimes you feel a bit, I don't know if I can talk about anything else other than my sport. You know, you kind of feel very, this is all I have in my life. And actually, be interested. Like you could talk about your baking, or you could talk about some of the girls talked about car maintenance and things. And that actually just expands your confidence in other areas beyond just I'm an athlete. And that's once I've finished talking about that, I've got nothing left to say. So I, I it, yeah, it really added to a lot more to what I could do. Um, and talking of all these different things, my last question to you all, uh, quick fire round is obviously at the start of lockdown, not just athletes, not just people in sport, everyone probably thought you know if you've given me eight weeks plus in lockdown gosh I'm going to learn 18 languages I'm going to do you know learn three different instruments I'm going to be able to become some sort of I don't know sushi chef and uh <laughs> and some days just getting out of bed and putting on clothes is it's just a win so you know I think there's a range of of what we've all achieved during lockdown if I asked you uh through this lockdown what what one thing has made you most proud then um and it can be anything sublime to the ridiculous Joe, I'm coming to you first. You're looking very confident there. What are you going to tell me? Well, I'm, I'm clearly the non-athlete in this group. This is a non-judgmental podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to rate this. But pretty much managed to get a four or five K run in, you know, pretty much every day uh, and feel it. Apart from the weekends, I've been, I kind of have a lie in at the weekend, but um you know, really feeling the benefit of that regular exercise because I'm not racing around the country in in my car or getting up at five to make a train to get down to London. You know, life has slowed down and I'm definitely taking advantage of that to 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 just to exercise more. So that's been a huge a huge plus for me. That's a win. We'll take that. Tom, what are you going to give us? I've dabbled a little bit. I mean, there was the whole, at the start, I was like, right, I'm going to learn Mandarin. That went straight out the window, <laughs> straight away. Good job, I was like, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and so uh, the language thing, it really bugs me when I travel and I really can't speak any other languages. And so I find it really embarrassing. So um one day, maybe that'll change after I retire. But what I have done my gardening I've learned a lot about plants I've learned a lot about where I should be planting plants and where I shouldn't be planting plants because things have died in the eight weeks I've become a a basic chef you know uh, Harry is a primary school special needs teacher so he has been in and out of work a little bit uh, so I've been trying to make sure dinner's on the table and and it's not just the pizza shoved in the oven it, it's it, it's um, it's homemade stuff um, and the last little thing which uh, I'm going to sound like some businessman here has been very, very minute amounts of money as I don't have much due to the lack of work this year. But I've been learning uh, the old stocks and shares. I've been watching those as as everybody says, things are very, very, uh, everything's falling and plummeting right now. Could I make a few million on the right, you know, investment in, in 10 years time? 
Probably not. And, and anything I have invested, I've dramatically lost a lot of money on that as well. So <laughs> overall, it's been a great learning curve of a few things. I love it. Well, we're going to get you on just a program to yourself next on Stop Scared Kids. <laughs> <laughs> gardening, gardening advice and, and top tips around the kitchen. I'm very impressed. I don't, Lizzie, how can you top that? You I, I really can't. I, I hate being last. I haven't been around <laughs> five Ks. I In can't so many garden. ways. So many ways you've been last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm most proud. It's so geeky. But I've literally washed the skirting boards and like took <laughs> out my curtains. How bad is that? I need to do something more productive. That's very good. When else would you do that? Let's be honest. You're never going to do that in real life. Well, I'm running around the floor with my daughter. She's a toddler now, and I'm just like, this is so mucky. I've got to like sort the house out. So. Yeah, keeping it real, keeping it real. <laughs> See, this is the good thing. You can be proud of everything in lockdown, I say. Thank you. Uh, listen, I'm very proud of each and every one of you. Uh, Joe, Tom, Lizzie, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your openness. And thank you for your generosity in sharing. Um, good luck to you all through lockdown. And I will hopefully see you in person on the other side. I'm Catherine Granger. This is Medals and More. Download and subscribe and you won't miss a moment. <laughs>